0: It's good to see all of you here this morning. I'm going to start off again this week asking a few questions from our family Bible readings. And I'm going to start off by asking a question in reverse. So I'm going to give you, ask you a question about what was in the question. When Josiah was delivered the law after Hilkiah the priest found it, who did he go to inquire of the Lord from? Who? What was the prophetess's name? Does anybody remember? Lincoln. Holda, that's right, the prophetess Holda. And the prophetess told him that indeed the curses that he had read in the book, and we presume the book of Deuteronomy, would truly come to pass. And we know that in spite of all of Josiah's reforms, Nevertheless, the people still did wickedly and the judgment was still coming and the judgment that was because of the wickedness of Manasseh was still coming. That was what Huldah prophesied. But there's one other piece of the prophecy, one other piece that um, I wonder if anybody remembers it had to do with Josiah himself. It's a really important piece of her prophecy. William? That's right. Did you all hear that? It would not happen until after he died, and she said that he would be gathered to his grave in peace. Right? Okay, now, I wonder how many of you, in knowing that, think back and say, yep, that's right, or is that right? How many of you are like, yep, that's right? Oh, nobody knows how to answer. How many of you are like, is that right? And how many of you are like, that's not right? And how many of you just don't know? (laughs) Okay, good. Well, that gives me a little bit of an answer um, as to where we're going to go this morning, because that prophecy is important. It's a big deal in the life of Josiah. So, in starting off with Josiah, I would like to recap where we've been. Um, Do I see Gavin back there? Yes, Gavin's back there. Gavin, can you come on up here? And Jared, you come on up here. And um, a few weeks ago, we had a 20-year-old. Who was my 20-year-old? It was one of the Vanderwerf's, wasn't it? Yes, come on up here. And then um, I had a 26-year-old, and he's not here. Huh? Oh, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Tool's claiming to be a 26-year-old. Uh, how, many, how many do I have in the 25, 26, 27-year-olds here this morning? Do I just have one? No, Brother Ray isn't that. Age. Boy, oh boy. Is it just Ethan? Is Ethan the only guy I've got here right now that's in that age range? Oh, I've got Bruce, too. And they're both working. Ah, It's a good age range to be working. Uh, Can you cover for Ethan just real quick for sake of illustration? So, Ethan, you come on up here. And then remember last time I told you that the other point of Josiah's life is when he was 39 years old. So if we look up here, why don't you stand right over here? We've got him at 8 years old right here. This is when he began to reign. This is when he became king. Then when he was 16 years old, it tells us he began to seek after the Lord God of his father, David. When he was 20 years old, presumably because of the age of accountability, he began to exert his authority and he began to bring about reform, religious reform in the nation to remove idolatry. And then when he was 26 years old, the book of the law was found in the temple and he, he read it, had it read publicly, and then in earnest, he began religious reform. And then to tack on the next stage, where we're at today, is when he was 39 years old. I'm not yet 39, but I'm, see, look, all you guys are trying to act younger. I'm trying to act older. 39 years old is where we're at today. So these are the key points in Josiah's life that we see up there on the timeline from 640 B.C. to 609 B.C. We find him as an 8-year-old, a 16-year-old, a 20-year-old, 26 years old, and then 39 years old. So when he was 26-year-old is when he went to the prophet Huldah, and the prophet Huldah told him that the judgments that were coming, that were prophesied in the book of Deuteronomy for the nation's disobedience, would indeed come, but they would not come in his lifetime. And so here now, I am... 39 years old king josiah thank you guys you may be seated as we launch into our lesson here um, i'd like to begin with a word of prayer let's pray together gracious god we thank you so much for your word we thank you so much for your inspired record lord i pray that we would be able to learn from it I pray that we would heed lessons that you have established in your word by these examples that we would know them. And bless us now and teach us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, Josiah is now 39 years old. He has continued his religious reform and he has continued to be a king unlike any other king since the days of David. But you know what? All around King David, the world is falling apart. Not just spiritually in his own land, but the nations around him are falling apart. I have here a map of Israel. And um, you can see here, Judah is in this region here with Jerusalem right here. Egypt is down here. Assyria is up here. And Babylon is over here. Now, for a long time, Egypt has not been a world power. Egypt, all the way from the days of the Exodus, really have not regained the power that they had back in the days of the Exodus. But they keep trying. They keep trying, and really hard. They've had a hard time with Assyria, just like everybody has. Assyria, the kingdom up here, You all know about Assyria. tiglath pileser Sennacherib, those guys, they're all from Assyria. They've been causing a whole lot of trouble. In fact, it was the northern kingdom that was carried away captive by the Assyrians. And you remember when they came in and carried away captive the northern kingdom, they also came down in Judah and pretty much had conquered all of Judah except Jerusalem. That was in 721 B.C., 722 B.C. And now... Not long has passed? A few hundred years. 722, we're now in about, oh what is it, 609 B.C., so about 110 years. And Assyria is no longer the world power. Assyria had conquered Egypt, had conquered Israel, had almost conquered Judea, had conquered Babylon. Babylon had been their slaves. In fact, they used Babylon as a place to put their slaves. But now, in 609 B.C., Assyria doesn't even seem to exist. In fact, we're going to read about the king of Assyria today. But you know it's not really the king of Assyria. He's really the king of Babylon, who has conquered Assyria and declares himself as king of Assyria. It's not really anything from the Sennacherib family or Tiglath-Pilassar's family. It's actually a Babylonian who is the king of Assyria. So Syria, the world's great, mighty power, has fallen, which, by the way, is a fulfillment of the prophecies of Isaiah. Isaiah said it would happen, and it's happened. Now, the king of Assyria is actually the king of Babylon. But there's still problems because the king of Babylon is moving across the world just as the Assyrians, and he's wanting to be the king of the Assyrians. He's wanting to be the king of Israel. He's wanting to be the king of Egypt. And there's a guy down in Egypt whose name is Nico. He is the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, Pharaoh Nico. And he is terrified. Of the Babylonian king, who's now also claiming to be the Assyrian king. And so, actually, God commands Pharaoh Necho to go and fight against the king of Babylon, who's also fashioning himself as the king of Assyria. God tells Pharaoh Necho to go fight him. So right now, The Babylonian king from over here has conquered north and conquered the Assyrians and is moving over this way along the Fertile Crescent, has come to Carchemish, a city up here. And what's his next target? Well, as he would come down south, he's going to come through Israel, a part of Assyria at this time. He's going to come to Jerusalem. And you know where he's going to end up? He's going to end up down there in Egypt. He's going to conquer the entire world, this Babylonian king. And God tells the king of Egypt to go fight against the king of Assyria, who's actually the king of Babylon, up at Carchemish, way up here in the north. Well, if you were looking at this map and you had to get from Egypt up here to Carchemish, where would you go? How would you get there? Well, it'd be pretty simple. You'd come along through here, and you'd come down into here to the Jezreel Valley. This is all mountain. This is hard to travel in, and so is this hard to travel in here, especially when you're trying to get through in this area here. And you'd come on up through here, the Jezreel Valley, and then you'd come on up here to to Carchemish to fight against the king of Assyria, which means that you're traveling right through Judah, Judah's kingdom. Now, Judah, by the way, at this point now, is starting also to be afraid of the new king of Assyria, who's really the king of Babylon. Because they know he's come through here and he's going to conquer Carchemish, and he's going to move south, and they're next. So now, we take our Bibles, or if you have your harmonies, turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 23. we're going to begin in verse 28. But we're also going to be over in 2 Chronicles chapter 35. Now, it's interesting here in all of this, it tells us in 2 Kings, now the rest of the acts of Josiah and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? Not the book of Chronicles we have, but another record of his, his acts. And in his days, Pharaoh Nico, king of Egypt, went up against the king of Assyria to the river Euphrates. And King Josiah went against him. Now, here we are in 2 Kings 23, but you know, if you only read 2 Kings 23, you won't get the whole story. So, if you have your harmony, switch over to the other column, or turn with me, and please do turn with me, to 2 Chronicles chapter 23. 35, 2 Chronicles 35, and we're going to begin reading in verse 20. For it tells us that after all this, when Josiah had prepared the temple, so Josiah not only had brought about all of these reforms, you know, beginning there as the boy king seeking the Lord, then the law was found in the temple. It's read to Josiah. He rips his clothes. He consults with Huldah. Huldah makes a promise. The prophecies will come true. The judgments will happen, but they won't happen where your eyes will see them. You will be gathered to your grave in peace. That's what Huldah, the prophetess, told him. The law was read publicly. It brought about a major revival as idolatry was purged from throughout the land. And now, as this time goes by, the temple has been repaired, just as it says right here after all this when Josiah had prepared the temple Nico over there you see him Nico king of Egypt came up to fight against Carchemish by the Euphrates the Euphrates river way up here in the north and that city Carchemish and you know what he came through here either he came down through this Jordan Valley region or he came up through this way and then crossed in here to the Jezreel Valley. And right here at the point of entering into the Jezreel Valley, you see, there's a, if you come up here later and look, there's a little mountain there. It's called Megiddo. Megiddo, it was a fortified city. This was where Solomon had kept all of his great chariots and horses at Megiddo. And the reason he had kept it there is because that was the place where all of the invading armies would come, whether they were coming from this direction or from this direction. That's how they kind of got through, was right there at Megiddo. And if they were coming from this direction, they would come up in through and they'd have to go by Megiddo. So that was a stronghold, that was a strategic military place to be. And so Nico, he's coming from Egypt and he's going up here to Carchemish. And Josiah gets the idea that his land is being threatened. And so he begins to assemble his warriors, his military, to go out and to confront Necho, Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Josiah went out against him. But before he engaged in battle with him, Necho sent ambassadors to Josiah. And what was the message you had that this ambassador delivers to me? What have I to do with thee, thou king of Judah? I come not against thee this day, but against the house wherewith I have war. For God commanded me to make haste. Forbear thee from meddling with God who is with me, that he destroy thee not. Hmm. Did you hear that? Pharaoh Necho just now gave Josiah a message from God. How many of you find that disturbing? I do, both as Stephen and Josiah. I find that disturbing. I'm the theocratic king. I am God's representative ruling from his chosen city of Jerusalem. And my kingdom is being threatened by an invading army. And now this king of this invading army has the audacity to give me a message from God. That doesn't make sense. If God had a message for me, he would have given it to me, right? We don't know exactly what King Josiah did when he got this message from the ambassadors of Pharaoh Nico. We don't know what he did. I'm reluctant to say he didn't do certain things because it doesn't say he didn't do them. But remember when he found the law? He was troubled. What did he do? He went and found, and it said, inquired of the Lord. He went and inquired of the Lord. Here now, he is being given a message from the kind of scary Pharaoh Nico who is with all of his army, marching through his land. And Pharaoh Necho says to him, What have I to do with thee, thou king of Judah? Pharaoh Necho basically says, I'm not coming to fight you. I'm just coming through your land. What have I to do with thee, thou king of Judah? I come not against thee this day, but against the house wherewith I have war." He's talking about the Babylonian king who is currently acting like the Assyrian king, claiming to be the Assyrian king, up at Carchemish, and he's going to fight against the king of Babylon up at Carchemish. That's the house he has war with. And this is what he says For God commanded me to make haste. Oh, isn't that interesting? Perhaps that's the reason why he's going this way or this way rather than this uh, way. There is no real good way over to Babylon or Assyria or Carchemish except through this region. That's the reason why the Jezreel Valley and Megiddo is such a military stronghold. There's no good way to get over there. And he's going anyway because God told him to make... Haste, that means go fast. And so, the king of Egypt, Nico, says to the king of Judah, forbear thee from meddling with, who does it say? Look, look at it. He says forbear, that means stop, meddling with who? You guys, please open your Bibles and look with me at 2 Chronicles, verse 21. 2 Chronicles 35, 21. 2 Chronicles 35, 21. If you're on the harmony, it's page 49, but don't let the harmony distract you. It's in your Bible, straight up. 2 Chronicles 35, 21. Pharaoh Necho says, forbear thee from meddling with who? God. Well, you might be thinking, wait a minute, I'm not meddling with God. I'm meddling with Pharaoh Nico, who has the audacity to be claiming that he's been instructed by God to do something. For verse 22 tells us, Nevertheless, Josiah would not turn his face from him, but disguised himself that he might fight with him. And listen now. Look in your Bibles. This is not Nico speaking. This is not Josiah speaking. This is the writer of Second Chronicles, as the narrator, inspired by God, saying that he would not turn his face from him, but disguised himself that he might fight with him, and hearkened not unto the words of Nico from the mouth of God oh Josiah Josiah no 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 I have a lot of Bible story books at home you know that you know how many of them just leave us with Josiah as the 26 year old king bringing about reforms in the land and they never tell us his end They just leave him as this great, good king, so spiritual. God, the Holy Spirit, is more honest. And I think that the Bible storybooks do a disservice in not recording the full truth. One reason is, is because it will help us better to identify with these men. These things were written for our learning, both as positive examples and as negative examples. And you know what so often happens in our lives, even my own? There are times when I am very excited about God and about his word and about obeying him and knowing what he has to say. But sometimes we let God's word get stale. We don't value it. We don't honor it. We feel like we already know what God has said. We're experts in Christianity. We already know it all. And then when we're confronted by somebody who hmm, is even a pagan speaking truth to us, we reject the truth rather than going back to the scriptures. Or we might find someone who we think is a compromiser who speaks truth to us, and we won't listen to them because they, they who are they to speak to me? I'm the spiritual one here. I'm the greatest king of Judah since David. Oh, my friends, let's not be like Josiah. Let's not be like Josiah and fail to inquire of God and know his way. Even in this case here, God is using a presumably godless, pagan, heathen. Oh, the Egyptians were known for their their weird idolatries. Yet God is using one of them to give a message to Josiah, and Josiah has prophets all around him of whom he can directly inquire. In this case, he's a little different than we have today. He can go to he can go he can go to his 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 cousin his cousin second cousin once removed Zephaniah and inquire of the Lord. The book Zephaniah that prophet's alive during Josiah's reign. He, he could go to Jeremiah, the prophet, and inquire of him. In fact he could go to Daniel and inquire of him. But Josiah is not recorded as inquiring of anyone except himself. Instead, he refuses to hear what Pharaoh Necho has told him, that God has told him. See, that's another lesson for all of us to learn. Sometimes, sometimes... We, we hear others speak, and we either don't think they're qualified to speak the truth to us, and we discredit them, or, um, or we think ourselves too good of it for it. That's what's implied here that Josiah did. He 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 wouldn't listen, and he did not inquire of the Lord, but instead he came to fight in the valley of Megiddo. Here is the Jezreel Valley and the valley of Megiddo is right in this region here of the valley that connects the Jezreel Valley to the plains over here. Those great Egyptians, famous for their chariots. Chariots that Solomon in his day had hired, bought, purchased. Chariots that Josiah had. And in that, Pharaoh Nico and his men, someone shot an arrow. And even though King Josiah was disguised, meaning he wasn't wearing his crown in the battle, he was trying to hide so nobody knew it was him, which is another thing we sometimes do when we're not following God. Try to act like somebody else that we aren't. One of the arrows of Egypt hit Josiah, wounded Josiah. And Josiah said to his servants, Have me away, for I am sore wounded. And his servants, therefore, took him out of that chariot and put him in a second chariot that he had, and they brought him to Jerusalem, and he died and was buried in one of the sepulchres of his fathers. And all Judah and Jerusalem mourned for Josiah, and Jeremiah lamented for Josiah. And all the singing men and the singing women spake of Josiah and their lamentations, to this day, and made them an ordinance in Israel, and behold, they are written in the Lamentations. The songs of weeping and mourning of the greatest king Israel had seen since the days of David. His life cut short, and presumably, because he would not hearken to the word of the Lord, as given to him by Pharaoh Nico, king of Egypt. Now I have a question. What about Holda's prophecy? What about Holda's prophecy? Do you remember that prophecy? If we turn back to that prophecy, it's, it's important for us to, to recognize what she had said to him. It's, it's back in Second Chronicles chapter 34. She, she says, because, in verse 27, because thine heart was tender, and thou didst humble thyself before God, when thou heardest his words against this place and against the inhabitants thereof, and humblest thyself before them, and didst rend thy clothes and weep before me, I... Have even heard thee also, saith the Lord. Behold, I will gather thee to thy fathers, and thou shalt be gathered to thy grave in peace. Neither shall thine eyes see all the evil that I will bring upon this place and upon the inhabitants of the same. So they brought the king word again. So tell me, did Huldah get it wrong? No, that's right. Do you know why? Because being gathered together in peace to the grave means a whole lot more than not dying in battle. Let me give you an illustration. Did Stephen, the first deacon, was he gathered to his grave in peace? Yes or no? (laughs) Yes, he was. Even though he was being stoned to death outside the city of Jerusalem, he was gathered to his grave in peace. He died in peace. He died in peace with God. You see, we have to look at things oftentimes, not just from the earthly, temporal perspective, but from the eternal, divine perspective. And I believe that's how we need to look at this prophecy. And you know, that gives me a comfort. You know Why? Because I am about 99% convinced that Josiah went out against Pharaoh Necho in arrogancy and pride, disregarding the word of the Lord that the Lord had given to him through Pharaoh Necho. And his primary failure was not to seek the Lord through his prophets in that day to confirm the word of the Lord. And I believe that he went out and fought against him. And in a sense, he died because of his arrogancy and and pride but you see the grace of god has nothing to do with what we do it's a gift and josiah received forgiveness for his sins he was redeemed because he had faith in god And even in his failure, his lack of faith, it did not change his standing with God. And so when he died, he died in peace with God. It's awful sad to consider how he died. I've asked the what if over the years about Josiah over and over and over again, and you know what? I'll tell you a heads up, there's no reason to ask it because you'll never get a conclusion. There is no what ifs Josiah had inquired of the Lord. What if Josiah had not gone against Veronica? I don't know. I've come up with all kinds of imaginative stories of what ifs. Some of them I could write a historical novel about. But I won't because the Bible's silent on it. The what ifs. And so we look here at this situation and we see it from the eternal perspective. And when you actually see what's about to happen in the land, you'll see why also Holda's prophecies are so rich. Because the trouble that comes is not a speedy death of a mortal wound of an arrow and dying before you even does it say he died at Jerusalem. Just, it it wasn't that. The troubles that come and what begin to happen as we look now at his family and the kingdom is disastrous and horror of horrors. And so when I look at all this prophecy and I look at the end, I say, what, what is this? I look at it from the eternal perspective in his relationship with God. And then I also look at it and say, what could have, would have happened if Josiah had inquired of the Lord? And I don't know. I simply ask the question, so you know what it does for me then now today? I'm Josiah's age. And in a sense, as I look at Josiah's life and I see him from a child and he's growing and is growing, and I see his passion as the 20-year-old and the 26-year-old, there's a little bit in which I see him in his 39th year and I see similar traits in myself which causes me to as I hope it does for all of you take heed observe Josiah take heed when we see him full take heed are we inquiring of the Lord are we seeking him day by day and trusting in him josiah is dead and you might think some time would pass before the calamities start right Mm, no no here you can see josiah's family josiah was the king you see he had four sons he had four sons here the first one here johanan we don't know much about we presume that he died young He doesn't appear in this situation. Well, when it is learned that Josiah is dead, who do you think you would naturally have be the king next? If we presume that Johanan is dead, who would be next? Who? Jehoiakim. Bah, but that's not the case. Now, I'd like to write a historical novel on this one, too. I wonder and curious, why and how and what? What was going on? I don't know. All I know is that the Bible tells us that the people chose Jehoahaz, the youngest brother, to be king. The people chose him. I wonder if Jeremiah was a part of that. I have a theory, and it's it's another discussion we'll talk about actually this afternoon, that That it's possible that Josiah, well, we know Josiah adopted his grandson, Jeconiah, as a legal heir. He adopted him as a son. We have evidence of that in the New Testament and in the Old Testament chronologies. He was adopted as a son, a legal heir. Which implies that he also may have then thereby chosen him to be the legal heir. But nobody wanted an eight-year-old as the king even though Josiah had been an eight-year-old when he was king. So they rejected that, and they rejected the oldest, too, and chose the youngest. I'm trying to see if we have time here, if we need to save it for this afternoon. Because I want to go fast and introduce these kings to you, but at the same time, I want you to catch it all. So can you follow with me here? We're going to go through and and bounce around at different passages and learn about the last and final kings of Israel. Josiah was the last sovereign. From this point on, the kingdom of Judah is a vassal kingdom. Do you guys know what that means? You know what that means, Nathan? A vassal kingdom means that he's not really the powerful king. He's not king all by himself. He is accountable to a different king. There's another king that's greater than him. And in this case here, Jehoahaz, the king that is greater than him, is guess who? Ooh. Pharaoh Necho took his hat off. That thing gets hot, doesn't it? Pharaoh Necho. Pharaoh Necho is his sovereign. Jehoi- Jehoahaz becomes king, and here it tells us the people of the land took Jehoahaz, the son of Josiah, and anointed him. This is 2 Kings twenty three thirty, And anointed him and made him king in his father's stead. Jehoahaz was 23 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. Did you catch that? Three months in Jerusalem. And his name was Hemantuel, or his mother's name was that, and the daughter, who was the daughter of Jeremiah of Libnah, not the prophet Jeremiah, because according to Jeremiah 16, Jeremiah the prophet was never married. Then we continue on into verse 32, 2 Kings 23, 32. It tells us he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his fathers had done. Ah, I'm going to give you a heads up. Of all the remaining kings of Judah, none of them is good. And if you want to know the full summary of these kings, you need Jeremiah chapter 22. So take your Bibles and keep, keep, keep your finger here in 2 Kings 23, but take your Bibles and open it to Jeremiah 22, because that's where we're going to learn some things about these kings. In Jeremiah 22 and verse 10, listen to what Jeremiah prophesies in the streets of Jerusalem. The prophecy actually began in verse one. "Weep ye not," he says. Jeremiah 22:10. Weep ye not for the dead." Part of the reason why he's saying weep not for the dead, wait wait a minute, didn't it say that he's the guy who wrote lamentations for the dead? Well, weep not for the dead, neither bemoan him, but weep sore for him that goeth away, for he shall return no more, nor see his native country, for thus saith the Lord, touching Shalom, the son of Josiah, Shalom is another name for Jehoahaz which reigned instead of Josiah his father, which went forth out of his place, he shall not return thither any more, but he shall die in the place whither they have led him captive and shall see his land no more. Shalom is Jehoahaz, Josiah's son, king after Josiah. He reigned for three months, and it tells us in 2 Kings twenty-three thirty-three that Pharaoh Necho put him in bands in Riblah. That's interesting because Ribla is up here. Ribla is up here. Jerusalem, remember, is down here. Right here. Ribla's up here. And Pharaoh Nico put him in bands in Ribla. I want to write a historical novel. How on earth did he get to Ribla? I have no idea. Somehow he got to Ribla. And Pharaoh Nico met him in Ribla. And Pharaoh Nico said, Put him in bands, put him in chains that he might not reign in Jerusalem. Tells him that they put the land to tribute of 100 talents of silver and a talent of gold, 750 pounds of silver and 75 pounds of gold. That's what he demanded of them, which isn't actually very much, considering some of the others who have put under tribute in times past. Remember the days of Solomon when silver was counted as stones in its abundance in the street? But then what happened? Well, Pharaoh Necho put, put um, Jehoahaz in chains in Riblah, in the land of Hamath, and he took Jehoahaz, it says in 2 Kings twenty three thirty four, away, and he came to Egypt, and he died there, just as Jeremiah had prophesied. He would be taken from his native land, and he would not return. He went somehow, got up here, met up with Pharaoh Necho in Riblah, and he ended up in Egypt, where he died. So, Pharaoh Necho, 2 Kings 23, verse 34. He made Elkaim, the son of Josiah, king in the room of Josiah, his father. And you look up there and you go, uh, who's that? I don't see him up there. Well, this afternoon, we're going to take some more time to look at these kings because they all have different names. One of them has three names. This guy here starts off as Elkaim. The son of Josiah, king of Judah, but it says that Pharaoh Necho turned his name to Jehoiakim. You see Jehoiakim up there? So Jehoahaz, has, he gets bound and carried away to Egypt, and um, Jehoiakim here becomes king. Jehoiakim. And it tells us that he was five, twenty and five years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. 11 years is how long Jehoiakim reigned. And so if we look here again at our timeline, we see Joash and we see Jehoahaz. Now, you might recognize the name Jehoahaz. Don't confuse them. Have you, you recognized the name Jehoahaz? Well, if you memorized your timeline, you would, because if we speed back in our timeline, all the way back, even before the fall of Israel, You see the son of Jehu, Jehoahaz. Different Jehoahaz, same name, different king. Jehoahaz, though, has been carried away to Egypt. He is gone, and his brother, now named Jehoiakim, becomes king when he was 25 years old. And so, how about this guy? Think he was good? No, he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his fathers had done. That's the only statement we get in Kings and Chronicles. But if you look in Jeremiah 22, verses 13 through 19, we get the rest of the story of this king, King Jehoiakim. And in light of President's Day tomorrow, I'd like to spend a little bit of time looking at this description in Jeremiah 22. Look with me here. Jeremiah 22, verse 13 through 19, is Jeremiah's woe prophecy pronounced upon Jehoiakim. Using to see our king Jehoiakim. So we've seen Josiah as king, and we've seen it now past Jehoahaz, and now it's Jehoiakim. Listen. Jeremiah 22, verses 13 through 19. Woe unto him that buildeth his house by unrighteousness and his chambers by wrong, that useth his neighbor's service without wages and giveth him not for his work. You see the tax that Pharaoh Necho put upon this king? Ah, wonder where he got it by exploiting his people. This king, this one that saith verse 14, "I will build me a wide house and large chambers, and cut to them out windows, and it is sealed with cedar and painted with vermilion. Cedar, the exotic, expensive panelling, wood used for decorating homes. Oh, and even got paint. You know, we think of painting our houses as a normal thing. That wasn't so in this day. That was something only kings had. And now listen to the question Jeremiah asks of this king Shalt thou reign because thou closest thyself in cedar? What makes somebody a king? What makes somebody a leader? President's Day is tomorrow. We celebrate our presidents, right? What makes a good president? What makes a president? I know. It's because he lives in the White House, right? And so his job is to, to just have fancy state dinners and feasts and parties and um, live the high life, right? 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 no hmm well this is a question shalt thou reign because thou closest thyself in cedar because you got the wealth. listen now as this Jeremiah calls him to remember his father did not thy father eat and drink and you might say ah see yeah Josiah, the godliest king since David. He had parties too. And it's interesting. Jeremiah acknowledges that Josiah, the godly king, did enjoy life. He did enjoy eating and drinking. But that's not all he did. For he did judgment and justice. For it tells us, Then it was well with him. He's basically saying to Jehoahaz, you now are exploiting your people to build your palace, to make your life easy, to feast and to celebrate, to make yourself powerful and great. Your dad was a great king too, and he enjoyed feasts. But he also was one who did judgment and justice he didn't exploit the people and not only did he not exploit the people he defended the people and then jeremiah says and then it was well with him he's saying this is the way of kings it's fine for kings to eat and to drink and to have great feasts but their primary job is to do justice and judgment in the land. Verse 16. Josiah, he judged the cause of the poor and needy. Then it was well with him. And then look at the last phrase. Was not this to know me, saith the Lord. You see, the job of kings first and foremost is to know God. To know His Word. To do justice. And as Habakkuk put it, to walk humbly with God. We need to pray for our president this President's Day That this last point right here would be his first priority in life. That President Joe Biden would know God. And that his actions as president would reflect that he knows God. That's what a king is. This is a description of a real king, Josiah, his son Jehoiakim. Nah, he lives the high life of a king, but he's not a real king. He's not one who really knows his God and does justice. And Jehoiakim is the one, for here you look in verse 17, as Jeremiah continues, but thine eyes and thine heart are not but for thy covetousness and for to shed innocent blood and for oppression and for violence to do it. Jehoiakim, wake up! Look at your father. He was a real king. You are just a selfish king who not only parties, but lives for covetousness and in shedding of innocent blood oppression rather than relieving the poor and needy he's an oppressor and for violence to do it therefore look at your verse 18 jeremiah 22:18. 18 therefore thus saith the lord concerning jehoiakim the son of josiah king of judah they shall not lament for him remember the lamenting for josiah Jeremiah prophesies. They shall not lament for him, saying, oh my brother. Or oh, my sister. Jo- 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 Joachim's dead. They shall not lament for him, saying, oh Lord. Or ah, oh, his glory. He shall be buried with the burial of an ass, a donkey, an unclean beast, drawn and cast forth beyond the gates of Jerusalem. This prophecy came true. And you might say, wait a minute. There's no record of it in Kings or Chronicles. You're right. That's the whole point. You don't record the record of the death of a donkey. He was given the burial of an ass. He was so great and covetous and great and mighty, but in the end, he was nothing. This is the same Jehoiakim. We're going to learn more about him. The same Jehoiakim, when Jeremiah, through Barak, presented to him the very words of God written on a scroll, You know what Jehoiakim did with them? Remember what his father did when his father was presented with the words of God? His father ripped his garments, humbled himself, cried to the Lord. You know what Jehoiakim did? He didn't rip his garments, he took a penknife out and he cut it up and he threw it into the fire. Now, Jehoiakim was nothing like his father. Jehoiakim was a horrific God. A horrific, Yeah, he acted like a God. He wasn't a God. He was a horrific king who totally opposite to his father did not seek to know his God. Jehoiakim. Father, help us today to want to seek to know you. And even in the moments and the times and the days when we think we know what's best, when our feathers are ruffled, may we humble ourselves and inquire of you, to know you, as Josiah did so often, though so imperfect. He gives us hope. And as we observe his failure in the last days of his life, May it cause us to be renewed in our desire and passion to know you, to know your word. Lord, you've put us in different positions, and in those positions, may we use the opportunities you have given to us to serve you. And Father, we also think of the king of our land, though not a king. A president, may he too know and learn from this account of Jehoiakim and Josiah. May he be a president who first and foremost seeks to know you. And then, as he executes his office as president of this great land, may he seek to uphold righteousness and justice.